I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Welcome back into the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, we had some great insight from Billy. And now we're going to shift and start talking a bit about um, just some of the known coordinators that are on uh, the staff. And the big news, obviously, breaking earlier today was Mike McCoy is going to be brought on as the offensive coordinator. Uh, he's been actually a longtime Panthers uh, person. Who's followed John Fox around for quite a long time. And following him up to, um, if you're looking in... Uh, the Denver as far as for with maybe some of Peyton Manning, but mostly also Tim Tebow before he got that, uh, uh, that job with the San Diego chargers and turning down the Arizona Cardinals, ironically enough, who uh, would have probably offered him the job had he been there at that time after Andy Reid and others turned them down. Um, but you've got a couple of guys like him, Holcomb, Ray Brown is a lot of, uh, Cardinals offensive lineman, even DJ Humphrey's excited about it. But, and let's talk a little bit about this fit and how it is with the quarterback. So, John, what are kind of some of your thoughts hearing about the staff as it's being announced? Are you excited, trepidatious, disappointed? Share some of your thoughts here. I was excited, Blake, for the hire of Steve Wilkes because I thought that they were going to go a different direction offensively, uh, meaning he would find a strong leader to kind of mold the offense into what we hope it can be, which is something that's innovative, new age, a lot that we're seeing around the NFL now with the likes of Sean McVay. And they went with the semi-traditional hire, a safe hire uh, in the extent that, you know, Mike McCoy brings a pedigree of a former head coach uh, that took his team to the playoffs. But at the same time, in Seth Cox wrote about it for Revenge of the Birds and, and did a great job breaking it down in terms of the, where he's been and how their offense has finished every year. Um, when, bottom line is when Mike McCoy does not have a franchise quarterback in place and conceivably a, a Hall of Fame quarterback and the fact that, you know, I think Phil Rivers is going to go to the Hall of Fame, Peyton Manning's going to be a first ha- um, ballot Hall of Famer, his offense struggles. And you mentioned it earlier, the kind of the outlier year is the Tebow year when they went to the playoffs, but again, They were, I think, the number one or number two rushing team that season, but were incredibly limited in the passing game. That was due much in part um, to, you know, Tebow being a limited passer himself. But at the same time, um, he's never developed a a rookie quarterback. He's never developed a young quarterback. The, The situation in Denver last year was a complete disaster. I'm not sure you can blame that on Mike or not. He was kind of the scapegoat. Um, so from an offensive standpoint, it's underwhelming. I think we both would have preferred somebody like John DeFilippo, even the Daryl Bevel, who you know I thought would have been the perfect hire to bring on um, based on the fact that he knows the, the, the division. He's worked with non-conventional QBs before. I think he took Tavares Jackson to the playoffs in Minnesota, helped uh, develop Russell Wilson. 
you know, we're, we're connecting to the dots to maybe the, the fact that he might like Lamar Jackson. And instead we get, you know, traditional, you know, Mike McCoy, who has not had, you know, a great notch on his resume getting fired twice in the past two years, I believe. Um, I like the fact that they were able to keep Byron Leftwich on the, on the roster or on the coaching staff. You, you hear a lot of the national media praise that move. The fact that they think he is a future offensive coordinator and waiting. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see the kind of presence he has with hopefully a rookie quarterback. Uh, Ray Brown to me is the biggest addition on the, on the offense. And the fact that he is, uh, a very praised offensive line coach around the league, well-respected. And the fact that, you know, I, I think he's going to be able to help your free agent pitch to a player like Andrew Norwell, who is 26 years old. He's coming off two, I think, uh, at least one or two Pro Bowl seasons. Had a terrific year this year. I believe he was all pro, was undrafted at Ohio State. You know, I know I'm getting a little bit off topic, but I think that that move is going to pay dividends, hopefully, in about a month and a half from now when free agency starts. And they're going to need – players like that in order to compete next year um especially if mike mccoy is going to you know utilize a lot of the you know the you know five seven step drops that we saw from bruce arians you're going to need an offensive line that can protect um so it'll be interesting what i do think it does though is it buys whomever time that they bring in as a rookie you know mike mccoy we don't think is going to set the world on fire early so you're going to have him around if he produces it's kind of you know good if he doesn't good if he does if he produces he's going to be up for another head coaching job you would think if he doesn't he's probably looking at getting fired but I think you've got a little bit of a window now to develop under Mike McCoy hopefully a young rookie quarterback like a Baker Mayfield like a Josh Allen um, and you're going to get maybe three or four years out of Mike McCoy Um, worst case scenario is he crashes and burns like he has the last two stops he had and the Cardinals are, and uh, Steve Wilkes are looking for another coordinator. Yeah, the biggest thing I think with McCoy is going to be Cardinals fans are not going to be used to seeing this much of the intermediate passing game since for the last five years we've been focusing mostly on a lot of deep seven-step drops, looking at a lot of kind of um, bubble screens as far as for what the, just the typical Bruce Arians offense, which has been a perfect fit for Ben Roethlisberger, been a perfect fit for Carson Palmer. When you look at the Broncos offense, how it's been designed, a lot of it is going to be kind of uh, kind of a bash and then using the play action, but also just kind of using a little bit of pistol. Some of that's still been left around for Peyton Manning. What's interesting is that there is going to be quite a bit of um, not just 11 personnel, but going to be putting in even um, we're going to be starting to talk about like um, I'm just putting in more of the uh, tight ends are much more involved in the passing game. Um, what's interesting is that the Cardinals are keeping their tight ends coach. Uh, it's Steve Hyden. And I think some of that might be due to the power scheme. You'll still be seeing that typical blocking. Um, I think is going to be something of why they're wanting to keep him around. Getting back to at least, we talked about DiFilippo for a long time as far as for that. And I think that part of the reason why we liked it was because it gave you at least some assurance that when you bring a guy like him in, you're probably going to pair him with the veteran defensive guy. And that's maybe similar to what the Cardinals have done by bringing in a Mike McCoy. But it kind of almost puts you in the spot where you know that the team is going to be going and wanting to develop a young rookie quarterback. McCoy's not shown that yet. Now, it doesn't mean he's not able to. We hit a similar. Um, there was a similar lack of confidence in Daryl Bevel to be able to develop a rookie, and 
turned into he developed Russell Wilson fine. It's just the continuation and the thing the part where a lot of Cardinals fans were saying, well, maybe he's a little bit hesitant on that, but it's it's a very safe move to bring McCoy in. He's got former head coaching experience. It's not like you're going to be kind of rolling the dice on. But I, I will say at least this about DiFilippo is since all the rumors and reports are that he's staying in Philly, it's a little surprising considering just how many offensive coordinator spots are up there. Are open right now, and he doesn't seem to be lined up for interviews with any of them. Some have said they have interest, but and this is kind of something where I don't have like news to break here, but just some speculation is I can't help but wonder if when we looked at DiFilippo's contract being up and him being a free agent to go anywhere, I can't help but wonder if the same is also true for their offensive coordinator Frank Reich. Average contract for NFL coordinators between two to three years. If Reich's contract is up. It makes a lot of sense for the Eagles rather than letting DiFilippo walk to another offensive coordinator job to actually just go ahead and promote him and give him that offensive coordinator position. And it makes sense for him to then stay with a comfortable place like the Eagles, uh, be able to keep with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, and then be able to keep building up his resume for his next head coach interview. Uh, otherwise, there seems to be no reason to stay. But uh, we have seen this before with the Mike Munchak. We have seen this uh, with other play, uh, coaches who've turned down for situation. Uh, do you think that at least as we kind of wrap up our DiFilippo talk, at least it looks like for <laughs> at least for the foreseeable future, um, just a little couple thoughts about with that and what you think might be the case on him. And is this kind of a thing where the Cardinals are maybe going to have a move that they'll regret by not reaching out to him? Well, I mean, they, they could regret it, but they could also follow Mike McCoy in two years and get John DeFilippo. So you, you don't know how it's going to work out. Like you mentioned, Mike McCoy was a candidate for this job, the head coaching job in 2013, uh, turned the Cardinals down, and, and here he is as the team's offensive coordinator head, heading into 2018. So you, you don't really know, but I, you know, like you mentioned, I think he thinks he's in a good situation right now. He can be particular. Uh, he can, you know, continue to establish himself as one of the best young offensive minds in football, uh, learn under Frank Wright, learn under Doug Peterson. You would think Frank Wright is going to get some, you know, head coaching looks here in uh, the next year or so, considering what they've done with Nick Foles. Um, and maybe the transition, like you mentioned, is for DiFilippo to take over play calling as the OC. Uh, I don't know. But at the same time, you know, I was a little bit, confused as to you know the reports that said the Cardinals were going to interview DiFilippo again for the head coaching job and then wouldn't wait to interview him for the offensive coordinator position I don't know if, if it's because they don't want to insult him or, or what have you did they did they miss the boat by interviewing him as a head coach then not being able to backtrack and ask him or interview him to be their OC you know all that stuff is kind of mo right now and it's really the the only people that know are you know Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell so um I I do think that it could be a situation in which you know you're watching that Philly offense and granted they have Carson Wentz um produce year after year with that elite coaching staff Jim Swartz on the defensive side and then the Cardinals with Mike McCoy and potentially, you know, a free agent quarterback struggling in the early portion of next year, and you're going to be kicking yourself. Um, but, you know, we looked at Kyle Shanahan this year, and until he got the right quarterback, you know, his offense didn't set the world on fire. He went from Brian Hoyer to C.J. Beathard, and they could barely win a game, and then he got Jimmy Garoppolo, and they went 5-0. and mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm holding out hope that, that Mike McCoy can do some of the same and really, this is all up to Steve Kime. I mean, Steve Kime, I would think, would have to sign off on any coordinator, even though he's going to give 
you know, his coaching staff, you know, the full control like he did to Bruce Arians. Uh, I would think that Steve Kime is basically not going to base his quarterback selection in the draft. And it really is his selection now with, you know, Mike McCoy. I would think he would go to Mike McCoy after the fact and say, make it work with Baker McField, make it work with Lamar Jackson. Um, because if you can't, those guys are considered first round talents. What does that say about your offensive coordinator? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's a lot that Cardinals fans are have to look at is Mike McCoy is still a very, very smart guy. Um, he still was in some cases, I, the rumors that I heard from Denver was that not only was he kind of a scapegoat for the poor quarterback situation, some of that was just whiffing on Paxton Lynch, who uh, he even admitted, I know, going the draft process that he felt like he was two or three years away, also had suffered injuries. It's just been very disappointing as far as a, a pick for them. A lot of that was the system kind of made him. We've seen with Mike Norvell, with Riley Ferguson's production, uh, especially kind of being a, a ticker of just saying that maybe it's more of that type of scheme that he ran. But uh, I think another thing you want to look at, at least, is he's still a very smart guy. He's still very well respected around the league. It seems like he's on kind of the downturn. I mean, you go from being kind of Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator to, I'm sorry, not Peyton Manning. He was Peyton Manning's head court, uh, offensive coach, I believe, for at least another year or so. But before that was Tim Tebow, then to the Chargers with Philip Rivers, then back to Denver. And it's just kind of an area where it feels like it's on the downslide of everything. Um, I do think that there is at least always room for redemption. Looking at Bruce Arians entering into that 2012 season, he was kind of a guy who was considered on the downturn, you know, the let go from the Steelers having to take over for a, a Colts team that was kind of a, had the number one pick the year before. And there was some success. And I think maybe sometimes it's the right fit. Now, it's not the head coach we're talking about here. Steve Wilkes, I think, is going to be – we're going to think we're going to look at, back on this as a tremendous hire. If the Cardinals can get a quarterback, because the one concern we'd had with Filippo was that he would potentially leave in two years if you didn't make him the head coach. And unless you got, like, a lifelong coordinator, you're really not going to have to worry about um, – like McCoy, maybe at least in the next few years, perhaps he does get another head coach opportunity sometime if the offense is quite successful. Um, but I think you're kind of looking at more of a situation where you're starting to rebuild the team. They wanted a consistent guy, a uh, smart guy. And uh, I think we're going to see a totally different approach in the passing game uh, rather than the deep drops, which with Carson Palmer being immobile, he took a lot of sacks. You see a lot more of kind of uh, three or five step drops, I think will be there. So I think what's going to happen is that the Cardinals are going to undergo more of a uh, offensive type where they'll mold to whatever the quarterback they end up choosing is versus kind of having to push Blaine Gabbard into a type of deep drop system just because he's got the arm and the size for it. Uh, let's talk a little bit. There's two other guys who at least I know are staying. One of them we've talked about is um, Kevin Garner. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is very close to him. He's been the guy who's called the uh, whenever it's time to uh, throw the challenge flag. It's kind of been his role. Uh, but we've also need to talk about two other guys. We've got David Merritt is being brought in as the corners coach, and he comes from the New York Giants. And there's one particular player that we can talk about here, and that's going to be Dominic rogers Camardi. Is it possible that we could have seen Fitzgerald and DRC back and continue that tradition of having two Cardinals players from that 2008 Super Bowl on this roster? Oh, I think so. I floated that on Twitter You know, after the hiring was made. I think that – that's a position that they want to stabilize so they don't have to worry about it via the draft. Uh, how many resources can you put on the defense and, and specifically the secondary? Brandon Williams was a third-round pick. Uh, you know, I know Buda Baker and Tyron Matthew are safeties, but they're hybrid safeties. They can cover receivers. They can cover the slot. Tyron and Patrick Peterson are making a lot of money. Um, it'd be great to bring back Tremont Williams on a, you know, a, a cheap incentive-laden deal for a veteran like him. And then I would think at this point, 
point Dominic Rogers Cromartie uh, won't have as many options as he did, you know, several years ago when he signed with the Giants. Um, well, I mean, so he's still technically under contract could... for next year, but looking at his cap, oh, okay. that's that's the biggest thing I think, you know, it's been floated out there, but he's kind of one of those guys who when you're looking at cap hits, I think he's very possible to be available. Now, Dave Gettleman may change that, of course, and it's not like he's a free agent, but this is a guy who when the Giants are going through this transition, he's 31-year-old corner, about like I think it's $8 million cap hit, but there is at least a possibility that he's going to be able to get released. Now, maybe we're crazy, but I, I think at least it'd be more likely to happen than not given his age. And perhaps you're right that he might be able to be a guy that the Cardinals bring with him. Yeah, and I think it could be another Antonio Cromartie scenario like in 2014. Um, now, you'd have to assume his money for this year if you picked him off off waivers. Uh, but uh, he's a vested veteran, so he may not even go on waivers. I don't, I'm not sure how that whole process works. But at the same time, from a personnel standpoint, I think it would be a great addition because you could go into April's draft – um, and take a corner if you wanted to, but certainly not on the first or second day. I think that'd be a position you'd look at at day three as a developmental corner. Um, Brandon Williams, I think, would have to come in and step in for the role Justin Bethel played last year. Um, and then it would really, assuming that you found a defensive tackle maybe that you liked in free agency, it would allow you to focus all of your attention on the offensive side of the ball in the draft. So, yeah, I'd be all for a DRC reunion. Yeah, we'll have to see at least because I know that right now it's we'll have to see. He's still going to end up, I think, with a cap number of about $2 million even if cut. He'd save about, um, believe it'd be about $6 million or so at least. And the Giants are going to have about only $30 million in cap room. If they're keeping Eli Manning, that's not a lot to work with for Pat Shermer to have to rebuild that team. Not to mention the fact that James Betcher, if he's going to bring his scheme from Arizona to the Giants, they're going to need a, a different type of inside linebacker. They're going to basically need a better chance as far as the safety. Perhaps you do end up seeing the move on from DRC, or perhaps he stays there because they've got you Norris know, Jenkins has been signed to a big deal, and they've really not gotten very much out of Eli Apple, who's just been kind of a, almost a nightmare situation for them. Um, the other thing we want to talk about is the guy who at least it's not been confirmed, but from the national media perspective, it's all but confirmed. Ken Summers said it's not a done deal yet, but that's Byron Leftwich. And we mentioned a little bit on Leftwich. He's a guy who almost from the moment that he kind of came onto the Cardinals was kind of had a, a certain different feeling about him for how the, the coaching staff glowed about him. Also about how many Jaguars fans reached out um, specifically, like completely without asking about him, just saying that they thought he was going to be a potential future head coach in the league for how bright he was, how great of a leader. Uh, what do you think as far as for with Leftwich, if he's going to stay, like how important is that to this Cardinals staff moving forward? You know, I think it's important for some consistency, but, you know, I think it's being honestly a little bit overplayed. Um, we saw him call plays in the preseason, didn't set the world on fire, if we're being frank. And I know he's a, a well-respected mind throughout the NFL, but again, you're only as good as the personnel that you have. Yeah, uh, he was Bruce, Lane Gabbert for that game, actually. So. <laughs> that's right. He got a little bit harsh in the preseason. That's right. But yeah. And, <laughs> and the Cardinals once fired the aforementioned Frank Wright. Frank Wright goes to San Diego and explodes with Philip Rivers. He's doing the same thing with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. So, again, I'm all for Byron Leftwich staying on staff. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I like the fact that between you and I, Blake, it's a minority that if you bring in Lamar Jackson uh, and, you know, you're potentially having communication issues for whatever reason with Mike McCoy, who can be a little bit stubborn, um, Byron can maybe serve as a bridge 
uh, to that quarterback. Uh, I know I'm getting crazy ahead of myself, but you, you have to kind of think of these things, you know, put yourself in the meeting room, so to speak. And uh, from what I can tell, he's a relatable guy. He's a down to earth guy. He's got a little bit of a BA personality. Um, and I, I think he could relate to a potential first round quarterback on what to do and what not to do as a first round quarterback himself. And one particularly that didn't pan out. So um, I'm not going to overblow the move. I don't think it's going to set the world on fire, at least the first year, but I could see a scenario in which, you know, if Mike McCoy leaves uh, after having fingers crossed some success, Byron could be the eventual successor to Mike McCoy. That would be best case scenario for me. Yeah, and Lefwich is just getting started out. He's not going to be moving up to a head coach job anytime soon. Filippo even bounced around for a few years before he got his first interview. Um, but I think that it's important just because this is uh, kind of not just keeping that Cardinals culture, but recognizing that Freddie Kitchens had been the quarterback's coach, and he'd been with the team for 11 years, uh, which is like kind of crazy when you think about just like how quickly coaching turnover is and the Cardinals still elected to keep Byron Lefwich over him maybe some of that's youth maybe some of that's development but I think that does speak pretty loudly that Kitchen's been involved for years and years and it was Lefwich who they chose at least to call place so I think that speaks a lot to when you look at Wilkes the character that he had where he was the guy who even though he wasn't the defensive coordinator or even the assistant head coach at the time he was the one who was kind of given in charge as Ron Rivera traveled so I think that's part of when you're looking at um, just the type of culture and the mentality the Cardinals have. Uh, I think it's a solid move for them to at least keep him. Uh, and we'll have to see. It might be that he ends up staying and leaves, you know, next year for an OC job. Perhaps it's going to be there. We're kind of in the spot where we're not sure. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to move on real quick just to um, talk about the uh, most important topic that's not really related to the Cardinals this week, and that's the Senior Bowl. We've got a couple of players we'll go over, at least for that, looking at some fits for the Cardinals, what's kind of some of the latest on that. We'll be back right here next on uh, the Bird Gang Blitz. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, we had some great insight from Billy. Uh, now we're going to shift and start talking a bit about um, just some of the known coordinators that are on uh, the staff. And the big news, obviously, breaking earlier today was Mike McCoy is going to be brought on as the offensive coordinator. Uh, he's been actually a longtime Panthers uh, person who's followed John Fox around for quite a long time and following him up to, um, if you're looking in, uh, the Denver as far as for with maybe some of Peyton Manning, but mostly also Tim Tebow before he got that, uh, uh, that job with the San Diego chargers and turning down the Arizona Cardinals, ironically enough, who uh, would have probably offered him the job had he been there at that time after Andy Reid and others turned them down. Um, but you've got a couple of guys like him, Holcomb, Ray Brown is a lot of, uh, Cardinals offensive lineman, even DJ Humphreys excited about it. But, and let's talk a little bit about this fit and how it is with the quarterback. So, John, what are kind of some of your thoughts hearing about the staff as it's being announced? Are you excited, trepidatious, disappointed? Share some of your thoughts here. I was excited, Blake, for the hire of Steve Wilkes because I thought that they were going to go a different direction offensively, uh, meaning he would find a strong leader to kind of mold the offense into what we hope it can be, which is something that's innovative, new age, a lot that we're seeing around the NFL now with the likes of Sean McVay. And they went with the semi-traditional hire, a safe hire uh, in the extent that, you know, Mike McCoy brings a pedigree of a former head coach uh, that took his team to the playoffs. But at the same time, in Seth Cox wrote about it for Revenge of the Birds and, and did a great job breaking it down in terms of the, where he's been and how their offense has finished every year. 
Um, with, bottom line is when Mike McCoy does not have a franchise quarterback in place and conceivably a, a Hall of Fame quarterback and the fact that, you know, I think Phil Rivers is going to go to the Hall of Fame, Peyton Manning's going to be a first ha- um, ballot Hall of Famer, his offense struggles. And you mentioned it earlier, the kind of the outlier year is the Tebow year when they went to the playoffs. But again, they were, I think, the number one or number two rushing team that season, <clears throat> but were incredibly limited in the passing game. That was due much in part um, to, you know, Tebow being a limited passer himself. But at the same time, um, he's never developed a, a rookie quarterback. He's never developed a young quarterback. The, the situation in Denver last year was a complete disaster. I'm not sure you can blame that on Mike or not. He was kind of the scapegoat. Um, so from an offensive standpoint, it's underwhelming. I think we both would have preferred somebody like John Filippo. Even the Daryl Bevel, who you know I thought would have been the perfect hire to bring on, um, based on the fact that he knows the the division, he's worked with non conventional QBs before. I think he took Devaris Jackson to the playoffs in Minnesota, helped uh, develop Russell Wilson. You know we're we're connecting to the dots to maybe the the fact that he might like Lamar Jackson, and instead we get you know traditional you know Mike McCoy who has not had you know a great notch on his resume getting fired twice in the past two years, I believe. Um, I like the fact that they were able to keep Byron Leftwich on the, on the roster or on the coaching staff. You, you hear a lot of the national media praise that move. The fact that they think he is a future offensive coordinator and waiting. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see the kind of presence he has with hopefully a rookie quarterback. Uh, Ray Brown to me is the biggest addition on the, on the offense. And the fact that he is, uh, a very praised offensive line coach around the league, well-respected. And the fact that, you know, I, I think he's going to be able to help your free agent pitch to a player like Andrew Norwell, who is 26 years old. He's coming off two, I think, uh, at least one or two Pro Bowl seasons. Had a terrific year this year. I believe he was all pro, was undrafted at Ohio State. You know, I, know, I know I'm getting a little bit off topic, but I think that that move is going to pay dividends, hopefully, in about a month and a half from now when free agency starts. And they're going to need – players like that in order to compete next year um especially if mike mccoy is going to you know utilize a lot of the you know the you know five seven step drops that we saw from bruce arians you're going to need an offensive line that can protect um so it'll be interesting what i do think it does though is it buys whomever time that they bring in as a rookie you know mike mccoy we don't think is going to set the world on fire early so you're going to have him around if he produces it's kind of you know good if he doesn't good if he does if he produces he's going to be up for another head coaching job you would think if he doesn't he's probably looking at getting fired but I think you've got a little bit of a window now to develop under Mike McCoy hopefully a young rookie quarterback like a Baker Mayfield like a Josh Allen um, and you're going to get maybe three or four years out of Mike McCoy Um, worst case scenario is he crashes and burns like he has the last two stops he had and the Cardinals are, and uh, Steve Wilkes are looking for another coordinator. Yeah, the biggest thing I think with McCoy is going to be Cardinals fans are not going to be used to seeing this much of the intermediate passing game since for the last five years we've been focusing mostly on a lot of deep seven-step drops, looking at a lot of kind of um, bubble screens as far as for what the, just the typical Bruce Arians offense, which has been a perfect fit for Ben Roethlisberger, been a perfect fit for Carson Palmer. When you look at the Broncos offense, how it's been designed, a lot of it is going to be kind of uh, kind of a bash and then using the play action, but also just kind of using a little bit of pistol. Some of that's still been left around for Peyton Manning. What's interesting is that there is going to be quite a bit of um, not just 11 personnel, but going to be putting in even um, we're going to be starting to talk about like um, 
I'm just putting in more of the uh, tight ends are much more involved in the passing game. Um, what's interesting is that the Cardinals are keeping their tight ends coach. Uh, it's Steve Hyden. And I think some of that might be due to the power scheme. You'll still be seeing that typical blocking, um, I think, is going to be something of why they're wanting to keep him around. Getting back to at least we talked about Filippo for a long time as far as for that. And I think that part of the reason why we liked it was because it gave you at least some assurance that when you bring a guy like him in, you're probably going to pair him with the veteran defensive guy. And that's maybe similar to what the Cardinals have done by bringing in a Mike McCoy, but it kind of almost puts you in the spot where you know that the team is going to be going and wanting to develop a young rookie quarterback. McCoy's not shown that yet. Now it doesn't mean he's not able to, we hit a similar, um, there was a similar lack of confidence in Daryl Bevel to be able to develop a rookie and, turned into he developed Russell Wilson fine it's just the continuation and the thing part where a lot of Cardinals fans were saying well maybe it's a little bit hesitant on that but it's it's a very safe move to bring McCoy in he's got former head coaching experience it's not like you're going to be kind of rolling the dice but I I will say at least this about DiFilippo is since all the rumors and reports are that he's staying in Philly it's a little surprising considering just how many offensive coordinator spots are up there are open right now. He doesn't seem to be lined up for interviews with any of them. Some have said they have interest, but, and this is kind of something where I don't have like news to break here, but just some speculation is I can't help but wonder if when we looked at Filippo's contract being up and him being a free agent to go anywhere, I can't help but wonder if the same is also true for their offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, average contract for NFL coordinators between two to three years. If Reich's contract is up, it makes a lot of sense for the Eagles rather than letting Filippo walk to another offensive coordinator job to actually just go ahead and promote him and give him that offensive coordinator position. And it makes sense for him to then stay with a comfortable place like the Eagles, uh, be able to keep with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, and then be able to keep building up his resume for his next head coach interview. Uh, otherwise, there seems to be no reason to stay. But uh, we have seen this before with the Mike Munchak. We have seen this uh, with other play, uh, coaches who've turned down for situation. Uh, do you think that at least as we kind of wrap up our DiFilippo talk, at least it looks like for <laughs> at least for the foreseeable future, um, just a little couple thoughts about with that and what you think might be the case on him. And is this kind of a thing where the Cardinals are maybe going to have a move that they'll regret by not reaching out to him? Well, I mean, they, they could regret it, but they could also follow Mike McCoy in two years and get John Filippo. So you, you don't know how it's going to work out. Like you mentioned, Mike McCoy was a candidate for this job, the head coaching job in 2013, uh, turned the Cardinals down, and, and here he is as the team's offensive coordinator head, heading into 2018. So you, you don't really know, but I, you know, like you mentioned, I think he thinks he's in a good situation right now. He can be particular. Uh, he can, you know, continue to establish himself as one of the best young offensive minds in football, uh, learn under Frank Wright, learn under Doug Peterson. You would think Frank Wright is going to get some, you know, head coaching looks here in uh, the next year or so, considering what they've done with Nick Foles. Um, and maybe the transition, like you mentioned, is for Filippo to take over play calling as the OC. Uh, I don't know. But at the same time, you know, I was a little bit, confused as to you know the reports that said the Cardinals were going to interview Filippo again for the head coaching job and then wouldn't wait to interview him for the offensive coordinator position I don't know if, if it's because they don't want to insult him or, or what have you did they did they miss the boat by interviewing him as a head coach then not being able to backtrack and ask him or interview him to be their OC you know all that stuff is kind of mo right now and it's really the the only people that know are you know Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell so um I I do think that it could be a situation in which you know you're watching that Philly offense and granted they have Carson Wentz um produce 
year after year with that elite coaching staff, Jim Swartz on the defensive side, and then the Cardinals with Mike McCoy and potentially, you know, a free agent quarterback struggling in the early portion of next year, and you're going to be kicking yourself. Um, but, you know, we looked at Kyle Shanahan this year, and until he got the right quarterback, you know, his offense didn't set the world on fire. He went from Brian Hoyer to C.J. Beathard, and they could barely win a game, and then he got Jimmy Garoppolo, and they went 5-0. and mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm holding out hope that, that Mike McCoy can do some of the same and really, this is all up to Steve Kime. I mean, Steve Kime, I would think, would have to sign off on any coordinator, even though he's going to give you know his coaching staff you know the full control, like he did to Bruce Arians. Uh, I would think that Steve Kime is basically not going to base his quarterback selection in the draft, and it really is his selection now with you know Mike McCoy. I would think he would go to Mike McCoy after the fact and say make it work with Baker Mayfield, make it work with Lamar Jackson. Um, because if you can't, those guys are considered first round talents. What does that say about your offensive coordinator? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's a lot that Cardinals fans are have to look at is Mike McCoy is still a very, very smart guy. Um, he still was in some cases, I, the rumors that I heard from Denver was that not only was he kind of a scapegoat for the poor quarterback situation, some of that was just whiffing on Paxton Lynch who uh, he even admitted, I know, going the draft process that he felt like he was two or three years away, also had suffered injuries. It's just been very disappointing as far as a, a pick for them. A lot of that was the system kind of made him. We've seen with Mike Norvell, with Riley Ferguson's production, uh, especially kind of being a, a ticker of just saying that maybe it's more of that type of scheme that he ran. But uh, I think another thing you want to look at, at least, is that he's still a very smart guy. He's still very well respected around the league. It seems like he's on kind of the downturn. I mean, you go from being kind of Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator to, I'm sorry, not Peyton Manning. He was Peyton Manning's head court, uh, offensive coach, I believe, for at least another year or so. But before that was Tim Tebow, then to the Chargers with Phillip Rivers, then back to Denver. And it's just kind of an area where it feels like it's on the downslide of everything. Um, I do think that there is at least always room for redemption. Looking at Bruce Arians entering into that 2012 season, he was kind of a guy who was considered on the downturn, you know, the let go from the Steelers having to take over for a, a Colts team that was kind of a, had the number one pick the year before. And there was some success. And I think maybe sometimes it's the right fit. Now, it's not the head coach we're talking about here. Steve Wilkes, I think, is going to be – we're going to think we're going to look at, back on this as a tremendous hire. If the Cardinals can get a quarterback, because the one concern we'd had with Filippo was that he would potentially leave in two years if you didn't make him the head coach. And unless you got, like, a lifelong coordinator, you're really not going to have to worry about um, – Mike McCoy, maybe at least in the next few years, perhaps he does get another head coach opportunity sometime if the offense is quite successful. Um, but I think you're kind of looking at more of a situation where you're starting to rebuild the team. They wanted a consistent guy, a uh, smart guy. And uh, I think we're going to see a totally different approach in the passing game uh, rather than the deep drops, which with Carson Palmer being immobile, he took a lot of sacks. You see a lot more of kind of uh, three or five step drops, I think will be there. So I think what's going to happen is that the Cardinals are going to undergo more of a uh, offensive type where they'll mold to whatever the quarterback they end up choosing is versus kind of having to push Blaine Gabbard into a type of deep drop system just because he's got the arm and the size for it. Uh, let's talk a little bit. There's two other guys who at least I know are staying. One of them we've talked about is um, Kevin Garner. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is very close to him. He's been the guy who's called the uh, whenever it's time to uh, throw the challenge flag. It's kind of been his role. Uh, but we've also need to talk about two other guys. We've got David Merritt is being brought in as the corners coach, and he comes from the New York Giants. And there's one particular player that we can talk about here, and that's going to be Dominic Rogers-Camardi. Is it possible that 
we could have seen Fitzgerald and DRC back and continue that tradition of having two Cardinals players from that 2008 Super Bowl on this roster? Oh, I think so. I floated that on Twitter, you know, after the hiring was made. I think that that's a position that they want to stabilize so they don't have to worry about it via the draft. Uh, how many resources can you put on the D? defense and, and specifically the secondary. Brandon Williams was a third round pick. Uh, you know, I know Buda Baker and Tyron Matthew are safeties, but they're hybrid safeties. They can cover receivers. They can cover the slot. Tyron and Patrick Peterson are making a lot of money. Um, it'd be great to bring back Tremont Williams on a, you know, a, a cheap incentive related deal for a veteran like him. And then I would think at this point, Dominic Rogers Cromartie uh, won't have as many options as he did, you know, several years ago when he signed with the Giants. Um, well, I mean, so he's still technically under contract could... for next year, but looking at his cap, oh, okay. that's that's the biggest thing I think, you know, it's been floated out there, but he's kind of one of those guys who when you're looking at cap hits, and I think he's very possible to be available. Now, Dave Gettleman may change that, of course, and it's not like he's a free agent, but this is a guy who, when the Giants are going through this transition, he's 31-year-old corner, about like, I think it's $8 million cap hit, but there is at least a possibility that he's going to be able to get released. Now, maybe we're crazy, but I, I think at least it'd be more likely to happen than not given his age. And perhaps you're right that he might be able to be a guy that the Cardinals bring with him. Yeah, and I think it could be another Antonio Cromartie scenario like in 2014. Um, Now, you'd have to assume his money for this year if you picked him off off waivers. Uh, But uh, he's a vested veteran, so he may not even go on waivers. I'm not sure how that whole process works. But at the same time, from a personnel standpoint, I think it would be a great addition because you could go into April's draft – um, and take a corner if you wanted to, but certainly not on the first or second day. I think that'd be a position you'd look at at day three as a developmental corner. Um, Brandon Williams, I think, would have to come in and step in for the role Justin Bethel played last year. Um, and then it would really, assuming that you found a defensive tackle maybe that you liked in free agency, it would allow you to focus all of your attention on the offensive side of the ball in the draft. So, yeah, I'd be all for a DRC reunion. Yeah, we'll have to see at least because I know that right now it's we'll have to see. He's still going to end up, I think, with a cap number of about $2 million even if cut. He'd save about, um, believe it'd be about $6 million or so at least. And the Giants are going to have about only $30 million in cap room. If they're keeping Eli Manning, that's not a lot to work with for Pat Shermer to have to rebuild that team. Not to mention the fact that James Betcher, if he's going to bring his scheme from Arizona to the Giants, they're going to need a, a different type of inside linebacker. They're going to basically need a better chance as far as the safety. Perhaps you do end up seeing the move on from DRC, or perhaps he stays there because they've got you Norris know, Jenkins has been signed to a big deal, and they've really not gotten very much out of Eli Apple, who's just been kind of a, almost a nightmare situation for them. Um, the other thing we want to talk about is the guy who at least it's not been confirmed, but from the national media perspective, it's all but confirmed. Ken Somerset is not a done deal yet, but that's Byron Leftwich. And we mentioned a little bit on Leftwich. He's a guy who almost from the moment that he kind of came onto the Cardinals was kind of had a, a certain different feeling about him for how the, the coaching staff glowed about him. Also about how many Jaguars fans reached out um, specifically, like completely without asking about him, just saying that they thought he was going to be a potential future head coach in the league for how bright he was, how great of a leader. Uh, what do you think as far as for with Leftwich, if he's going to stay, like how important is that to this Cardinals staff moving forward? You know, I think it's important for some consistency, but, you know, I think it's being honestly a little bit overplayed. Um, we saw him call plays in the preseason, didn't set the world on fire, if we're being frank. And 
I know he's a, a well-respected mind throughout the NFL, but again, you're only as good as the personnel that you have. Yeah, uh, he Bruce, didn't blame Gabbert for that game, actually. So <laughs> that's right. He got a little bit harsh in the preseason. That's right. But yeah. And, <laughs> and the Cardinals once fired the aforementioned Frank Wright. Frank Wright goes to San Diego and explodes with Philip Rivers. He's doing the same thing with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. So, again, I'm all for Byron Leftwich staying on staff. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I like the fact that between you and I, Blake, it's a minority that if you bring in Lamar Jackson uh, and, you know, you're potentially having communication issues for whatever reason with Mike McCoy, who can be a little bit stubborn, um, Byron can maybe serve as a bridge uh, to that quarterback. Uh, I know I'm getting crazy ahead of myself, but you you have to kind of think of these things, you know, put yourself in the meeting room, so to speak. And uh, from what I can tell, he's a relatable guy. He's a down-to-earth guy. He's got a little bit of a BA personality. Um, And I I think he could relate to a potential first-round quarterback on what to do and what not to do as a first-round quarterback himself and one particularly that didn't pan out. So um, I'm not going to overblow the move. I don't think it's going to set the world on fire, at least the first year. But I could see a scenario in which, you know, if Mike McCoy leaves uh, after having, fingers crossed, some success, Byron could be the eventual successor to Mike McCoy. That would be best case scenario for me. Yeah, Leftwich is just getting started out. He's not going to be moving up to a head coach job anytime soon. Filippo even bounced around for a few years before he got his first interview. Um, but I think that it's important just because this is uh, kind of not just keeping that Cardinals culture, but recognizing that Freddie Kitchens had been the quarterback's coach, and he'd been with the team for 11 years, uh, which is like kind of crazy when you think about just like how quickly coaching turnover is and the Cardinals still elected to keep Byron Leftwich over him maybe some of that's youth maybe some of that's development but I think that does speak pretty loudly that Kitchen's been involved for years and years and it was Leftwich who they chose at least to call place so I think that speaks a lot to when you look at Wilkes the character that he had where he was the guy who even though he wasn't the defensive coordinator or even the assistant head coach at the time he was the one who was kind of given in charge as Ron Rivera traveled so I think that's part of when you're looking at um, just the type of culture and the mentality the Cardinals have. Uh, I think it's a solid move for them to at least keep him. Uh, and we'll have to see. It might be that he ends up staying and leaves, you know, next year for an OC job. Perhaps it's going to be there. We're kind of in the spot where we're not sure. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to move on real quick just to um, talk about the uh, most important topic that's not really related to the Cardinals this week, and that's the Senior Bowl. We've got a couple of players we'll go over, at least that looking at some fits for the Cardinals, what's kind of some of the latest on that. We'll be back right here next on the Bird Gang Blitz. Don't go anywhere. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. 
MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. And we're back on the Bird Gang Blitz. So, John, the Senior Bowl is happening this week, and let's just start with the big names that are going on. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen are there. You've got quarterbacks such as Mason Rudolph, Luke Falk. Uh, even Kyle Laletta was mentioned uh, by, uh, by Billy earlier in the show. Uh, what are your thoughts, Lisa, about what you've heard about the Senior Bowl? And do you think that we're getting some confirmation on Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen? Or what are some of your thoughts so far based on what's coming out of mobile? You know, I thought we were getting confirmation. Then I, I uh, saw a series of tweets almost simultaneously. They were all taken out of the same five-minute span. And one of them said that Josh Allen was struggling with his accuracy. The next was he was having the best day of any quarterback. And then Baker Mayfield's arm strength was really popping. And then the next tweet I saw, Baker had been throwing a couple wobblers. So I, I don't really know what to believe. I think your best bet is to watch it on TV and kind of see for yourself and then wait for the final breakdown base instead of going play by play on Twitter. That's probably not the best route to go at the end of the day. I think I'm hearing enough out of Josh Allen's play that he's going to be a top 15 pick. Uh, I initially said, you know, during the season, Blake, I couldn't see him going in the first round based on his statistics this year. That's obviously not going to be the case now based on everything that, the media scouts are hearing from personnel guys in the NFL, unless this is the best kept secret that he's just awful and nobody wants him. Somebody's going to take him. Benjamin Albright, who I trust, who is becoming one of the better sources in you know the NFL, said that he see he could see a scenario in which Buffalo packages both of their picks to go up and get him. And I agree. I think Buffalo to me is not a threat to the Cardinals in terms of the quarterbacks they're looking for. And here's why they've had Tyrod Taylor in the mix. They know what, not necessarily a weak on quarterback, but a smaller undersized quarterback who has some mobility can can't do in that condition. I think they want a prototypical, you know, six, four rocket arm quarterback to push the ball, you know, in those cold Buffalo winters in the, in the frigid AFC East. So I don't think they're going to be targeting a Baker Mayfield and a Lamar Jackson. I think that's good news for the Cardinals. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, you know, by all accounts, Everybody wants to compare him to Johnny Manziel, and really I think those are just lazy comparisons. I think he's a much more uh, easier thrower. The football, his statistics are far superior. Yes, he played in the past happy Big 12, but at the same time, you know, everything that I'm hearing from the Senior Bowl this week is he's you know, a professional going about his business, leading the offense, looks sharp. He's got probably the most accurate arm of any of these quarterbacks, and that serves today's NFL well. And the most important thing, Blake, is he measured slightly over six feet. So he's already taller than Russell Wilson. He's already taller than Dak. So I know those comparisons are out there. I think you can start to talk about Baker Mayfield more closer to 
and he's still taller, Drew Brees, than, than those two individuals. I think he's just a more natural, gifted thrower of the football than Russell or Dak. Uh, and that's saying something. Now, will it translate? Can he command the locker room? Can he be a leader of men? Can he take the role seriously enough? That remains to be seen. But uh, one more individual that I think is kind of flying a little bit under the radar is is Washington State's Luke Falk. He has been incredibly steady this week. I think he's completed the most passes in the seven-on-seven drills that they've been running in the team drills. Uh, I think he's probably going to go between round two and three. Um, but to me, his, his pro comp at the highest ceiling is somebody like Matt Hasselback. It's not going to set the world on fire, but franchise quarterback who's going to win a lot of games based on the fact that he was super accurate in college and it looks like it's translating to the senior bowl as well. Yeah, Falk is interesting because he's a guy who, like, was when you talk about it, like, you'll see film of he's kind of, like, under pressure, and he just has a quick release. The ball hits accurately. That was one of the biggest things I liked about Falk was and the right scheme for that one was a quick timing and tempo-based attack. He's a very smart guy who read the field, and it just had very good placement, not just being accurate, but placement. Now, the biggest concern I know with Falk is there's a video that's been floating out there about how um, some quarterbacks are kind of having to catch a couple of passes, and one of the passes, he just kind of, it, the ball is just put right there, and it just kind of bounces off off his hand he just kind of reacts and he's just like that says i can't catch that because of my wrist so if that's like you're throwing in and throwing wrist and a lot of the stuff with that and then also with concussions i know some have said that he's only come away with one concussion some rumors had that he was benched because of another one this year it's going to be up to teams to figure out those medicals he's more of a jared goff type of body but i do think that he and even mason rudolph who's in a walking boot for this week are probably going to be guys at the very minimum might be a long-term backups in the league uh, at minimum perhaps you'll see guys at least like that start uh they might go within rounds two and three maybe they'll surprise a little bit you'll miss it but the depth of the quarterbacks that they have this year is really special i think um mayfield from everything has had a couple of struggles as far as in the beginning and then just lit it up Josh Allen has been very interesting. Um, there's another video, I believe it went almost viral, of Baker Mayfield dropping back, having a simple drill of running left and right, and then just delivering a, a football into a, one of three different pockets. And he just, you know, dropped back one, boom, right there. Very accurate quarterback. Josh Allen didn't just miss the hole he's supposed to do, he missed the entire back of the net. <laughs> and when you talk about the difference between accuracy and placement, um, he's just struggled on a lot of the deeper passes, even though he's got a big arm. It's just kind of, has been pulling a lot of the different ones, at least with that. And there's still talk about him being a number one overall pick. And I'm just going to say, at least, is, is this a good guy that you think at least is should be at least a top 15 talent? Maybe he just needs to go to a team like the Ravens or the Chargers, sit for a little bit, be able to learn. Or are we looking at a guy like Logan Thomas, who's potentially being talked about as a top 15 pick here? Yeah, I think he has a higher ceiling than Logan Thomas did because of the fact that he played um, at a little level of competition that was lower, but he elevated the guys and he had less talent around him. I did see an interesting stat the other day, Blake, that quarterbacks who have a 56% completion or lower, 56 or 57, generally bust in the NFL. The sweet spot is right around 58 or higher. I think of the last 10 to 15 years, I think it was closer to 15, of quarterbacks that were drafted with a 56% completion or lower were generally all busts. None of them panned out. Um, the best case scenario of all those quarterbacks was David Garrard, and he, he wasn't even drafted. So these are all the college quarterbacks that, that come into the NFL either via the draft or free agency 
David Garrard was the best who could translate a 56 or 57 completion percentage or worse to the NFL and have some success to some effect. And he who was a couple years starter ended up having to quit the game because I think he had Crohn's disease, but that just shows you that Josh Allen is up against history right now. His completion percentage is just not good enough to be a high caliber NFL star quarterback. And then you're talking about the fact that you're going to have to convince your owner who's going to look at that number, who doesn't watch film that I'm going to take this guy with my first round pick when really it's not like one of these years where you either take him or you don't take a quarterback in the first round. It's not the EJ manual year. You're going to have opportunities to get either a Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson or Mason Rudolph or Luke Falk, who may not be the talent, but certainly have better numbers at higher competition and could all be successful in the right place. So I do think he's going to end up being a top 15 pick. I think that this week is helping his case and it's only going to go up because you know, he's going to look great at the combine in short throwing the football, which has nothing to do with on field play. You know, he's going to get the ace, the interviews I've heard him talk this week. He says all the right things. Basically saying that, you know, I want to be the guy who turns the Browns around. I want to be the guy who's immortalized there. I think that's more special than doing it anywhere else because of the problems that they've had. I mean, he just he he is the entire package as an NFL quarterback except his on field play. So can he can he turn <laughs> That's a pretty big it's a pretty big thing right there. Yeah, right. So sixteen touchdowns, six picks, less than two thousand yards playing at Wyoming you know, being the MVP of the potato bowl. I mean, it's just, it just jumps off the pages as red flags, but you know, if it was me, if the Cardinals had the 15th overall pick and let's say Jackson's gone, Mayfield's gone, obviously Donald and Rosen are gone and Josh Allen's there. You know, I, I would consider taking him at this point based on his measurables and you know, his character and his intangibles. I think he's got a higher upside than some of the guys that, you know, I've liked in the past that you can kind of compare him to a Paxton Lynch. Um, his, his coach at Wyoming was the same coach Carson went had in college. So there's some similarities there. Although Wentz was a stud uh, statistically in college at the end of the day, Blake, I, I don't know what the future holds for him. I'm rooting for him because let's face it. I don't want him to fail, but we've talked about it. He's, he is what he is at this point, and he's a guy who completed less than 60% of his passes. I don't even know what their what their college conference was called, but it was not a Power 5 conference, and the talent that he played was just sub-marginal at best. Yeah, no, that's, uh, the, I think it's the Mountain West Conference is that one there. And uh, this is part of we'll, – we'll be going into more of that when I kind of do some of the quarterback breakdowns as far as the stats. But the biggest thing is, like as you just said, you look for red flags. You look for – if you're trying to find and eliminate risk, you try to take out, at least statistically, what are different risks that you have. And what's interesting about this year's quarterback classes, all of these guys, at least even looking at the top, look at Josh Rosen, you can look at a red flag of how many interceptions he's thrown on the road. And there's some serious, serious kind of concerns that people are having about his character and personality. And maybe that'll be overblown. Maybe it'll be real. We'll find out. Um, Darnold's fumbles has been a big part. There's even been rumors about small hand size, which would kind of explain some of those fumbles and the funky motion. But uh, even Baker Mayfield, there's been very few quarterbacks who have succeeded uh, under six foot. And part of the question, though, is, is that because the NFL hasn't given them a chance or 
is it because of the quarterbacks aren't able to slide and adjust the sea windows? But um, I think it's going to be really interesting to just, just to take a look because we'll have plenty of time to talk about these quarterbacks. I would think at least that we might be talking about the Cleveland Browns being locked in at a quarterback at one or maybe even at four. Might be that's not the case come draft day, and there's going to be a couple of teams like them, the Colts or others, open for business. Um, just to kind of wrap up on Josh Allen before we move on to some other prospects, I think you're dead on about the Bills being the team because not just with their desire to move on from Tyrod Taylor and not take a similar quarterback type, but the fact that last year they had that 10th overall pick and Patrick Mahomes was on the board for them and they totally just basically dipped on the quarterbacks for them and Deshaun Watson. They traded down um, and now have two first-round picks. Based on some of the news that we heard that Josh Allen kind of had a secret show up at the Combine uh, last year where kind of they got to meet with some decision-makers and teams, I would not be shocked at all if the Bills decided to trade back with that intention of having both those picks to try to trade up and get Sam, Josh Allen or maybe even looking at Darnold or Rosen and preferring them uh, once Mr. Trubisky was off the board. Let's go and talk a little bit about some of the other players that are lighting up the Combine at wide receiver, uh, or not the Combine, excuse me, the Senior Bowl. Deshaun Hamilton is very very consistent here but the guy who's also stole the show is james washington and this is wide receiver is a position that the cardinals are looking at now i'm not sure if uh washington's a guy that his size about 510 or so you take at 15 uh, maybe uh, do if you end up having to trade back god forbid but what do you think as far as for with finding the number two wide receiver do you think the second round's a good spot to look or is there a more important position we need to consider for the cardinals there you know, I think that the second round is fine, assuming you get your quarterback in the first round. Uh, it all is contingent on that. Uh, I think that you, there could be a combination of going maybe offensive line in the first round, then you're looking at a scenario where you may want to trade back into the first round to get a quarterback. But when you take a wide receiver in this draft, you better already have your quarterback in place. That's that's kind of the only precursor I have. But sure, if you fall in love with a guy in the second or if you want to package up your two-thirds that the Cardinals will have, they're getting a comp pick for Calais Campbell, and you want to move back into the second and take a wide receiver, I have no problem with that. Um, you know, I think that we'll hopefully see an ascension of Chad Williams this year, third-rounder last year, who barely played. I think that, assuming Larry Fitzgerald comes back, he's obviously going to be productive. You, you hope you get uh, some nice contributions out of – you know, J.J. Nelson and Ricky Seals-Jones, but I think that 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 receiving group certainly has room for improvement. And if you find a guy who you think can be uh, even a number two receiver at this point, I would rather build my receiving core on a plethora of number twos a la the Detroit Lions. They did it in free agency. Um, I think that that would be wise, but you better make sure that you have your quarterback in place and that you have an offensive line that you're comfortable with going into the season. Uh, I didn't have a chance to ask Billy this, but you know the 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 addition of uh, Ray Brown as your offensive line coach does that mean that you are the front runner for an Andrew Norwell? So you get Andrew Norwell to potentially play right or right or left guard next to DJ Humphreys. You know Jared Valdez under contract. I'm assuming they're going to part ways with he and or Mike Ayupati. You're going to have some spots to fill. Um, and the, I know Steve Keim is a former offensive lineman in his own right, but he hasn't shown the ability to draft and develop offensive linemen, whether it's due to injury or no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> day three, day three or later, never had a third round pick or higher for that one, unless it's been our, you know, your classic to uh, Jonathan Cooper. We know how that turned out. And DJ, Hump, yep. hoping how it'll turn out. Yep. Injuries have played a big factor in that. And we've touched on it previously. And, you know, I don't believe the Cooper pick was his fault in terms of the injuries that he sustained. 
Humphreys, you know, late in the first round, you never know. But again, back to your original point, receiver to me is a need. Anything on offense right now outside of running back is a need. So I'm not opposed to it. But again, get your quarterback first, get that figured out. And then hopefully your quarterback will elevate some of these receivers that you could take. But, you know, I love the idea of going offense heavy day one, get a quarterback in the first round, offensive line in the second round. Uh, and then, you know, you have two thirds to play around with. You want to take a receiver, you want to take a tight end, maybe you want to take another offensive lineman. That's great. And then day three, you know, me, Blake is all about value, best player available. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one thing I want to at least touch on is when we were talking about like with running backs, and I'm kind of curious at least as far as for, because right now we're in a position where David Johnson's coming back and you want to feed him the rock. But if Mike McCoy is coming in, you look at how he used multiple running backs. Um, maybe sometime he had CJ Anderson had the hot hand, but perhaps you look at the Cardinals. Maybe they are not going to bring back Adrian Peterson. I, I think it would be wise to, it's still going to be $3 million. So perhaps it's a bit expensive. Uh, it, it is possible to keep him. And perhaps that neck injury is a little worse than we know about. Out, but what would happen if the Cardinals let Adrian Peterson walk? And do we think that Kerwin Williams, Elijah Penny, and TJ Logan, who hasn't played at all this year, I think would be enough to carry the load? Do you think that a power run scheme or if Adrian Peterson goes, I'm going to have to look for a spot and Yeah, I do think they should let Adrian Peterson go. I don't think it's wise when you're trying to rebuild an offense from scratch to pay a 30 plus year old running back three point whatever million dollars to be a backup to David Johnson. I think we saw at the end of the year, the likes of Kerwin Williams and Elijah Penny run super effectively all over a Seattle defense in week 17 and route to their win in Seattle uh, with a, you know, a below average offensive line, Elijah Penny having a touchdown in that game. We've seen what he can do in limited playing work. We know that I think it's either his cousin or his brother, is one of the top running back prospects coming out this year. So it's in his bloodlines to be a productive running back. I think that the Cardinals would be best served to go with that. We saw how electric TJ Logan looked in the return game and his brief offensive touches last preseason. So again, that's a position you got to go cheap with on top of the fact, Blake, and I, you know, I don't think people are considering this when they want to see AP and DJ together. You're going to give DJ a fat contract extension this offseason while paying Adrian Peterson $3 million when you have holes at conceivably every other position on offense and maybe you want to add some talent to your defensive line and or corner. I just don't see it as a reasonable uh, option for the Cardinals. If this was 2015, you're going for a Super Bowl run. You want to have as much depth as possible. That's fine. That's not going to be the case next year. Next year is about building and cementing guys, you know, positions and roles for the next, you know, hopefully three to five years. Peterson wouldn't be around for more than another year. Uh, to me, it is a, um, it's a fool's gold move to not, uh, to keep him around. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that you're. Uh, I think you're right about Wasal. If they do decide to move on, you probably at least saw that you at least have backs to fill. You could go cheap. Uh, David Johnson will be interesting because part of you after coming off of 2017, which he had basically like just rushed for seven yards, it's kind of it seems a little bit crazy to think about like them paying by giving a big contract. But when you look at what the situation with Le'Veon Bell is with the Steelers right now, he's either going to get franchise tagged or he's going to probably go to the Niners who are going to pay him a ton of money because they're going to be in the running back market. 
it just feels like the, the Cardinals, if they lock him up at least now, even though it might be taking a little bit into reflexibility for 2018 or 2018 season, you at least don't have to worry about that going into 2019. If you decide to move DJ to receiver or just seeing how that'll work, I think that that way you at least have him locked up for the long term and, the fact is that even though you didn't have a year that you got with him, he's going to get a little older. If he is going to be one of those guys who's going to move and still be a focal point of your offense, like a Matt Forte years later, you probably do want to at least get him locked up now. And it'll be interesting to watch and see. And that's why I don't know that they're going to be able to go after a Kirk Cousins. Even if they pursue an Alex Smith in a trade, uh, I think it's going to be difficult just due to some of the cap space without having to let some of the guys want Dale uh, Buchanan. He's got his fifth year um, contract option. I know this is going to be kind of his last year. Maybe the Cardinals take a look at seeing about locking him up or perhaps that's part of the reason why they brought in Hassan Reddick. Uh, one thing I do want to touch on at least is just with the offensive linemen and this is a possibility is when you're looking at how last year um, just kind of the talk that I had heard was that Mike McCoy really stumped for Garrett Bowles as uh, the the first round pick for the Broncos last year. And he's probably going to make a move to right tackle but it seems like he would be a very strong advocate of offensive line We've looked at least as far as with Quentin Nelson's probably a guard who he may be the next guard who goes top 10. But as, um, as Billy mentioned, we've got two guys who were just really rocking at the senior bowl as far as Will Hernandez and also Isaiah Wynn. Both are showing excellent technique, size, mobility. Um, what would happen as far as the Cardinals if they did decide to maybe take a guard at 15 or trade back, acquire a few more picks to help rebuild the team, and then maybe trade up using one of those thirds for a quarterback like a Lamar Jackson if they wanted that fifth round pick? Is that something that the Cardinals should consider? Maybe we're talking about quarterback and moving up for one when offensive line is what the pick could be? It would be a bold move for Steve Kahn to take yet another first-round offensive lineman, uh, but it's it's not something I'm going to argue with because you do it until you get it right. I'm at the same point with quarterback. Uh, that's going to be a really nerve-wracking first round if we trade down from 15, take an offensive lineman, and then jump back in and get a quarterback. But it's not something that that I would you know dislike at all. I think Isaiah Wynn would be a tremendous pick. I think he's going to end up elevating himself into that first round category. Initially, a lot of skeptics mm-hmm. thought he would be a top 50 pick. I think right now you look at right after Nelson, he's right there in terms of the best guard prospect. I think you could throw in a guy like Billy Price, Ohio State uh, center slash guard. He's got experience of both. I think he'd be a tremendous addition in the first round with the Cardinals to pair with your rookie quarterback. So no, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I think, you know what, you go after the interior offensive line Generally, those guys are a little bit safer uh, than the tackles just based on the fact that you don't ask them as much and you see these rookie offensive guards and centers producing at a high level when Ryan Kelly's played for Indianapolis. He's played well. I I remember Larry Wolford coming in as a third-round pick for the Lions. He played well right away. Um, So I think it's a position right now. If you've got D.J. Humphreys at left tackle and you think you're okay there, Maybe you go out and you sign a free agent right tackle or you bring Jared Valdeer back at a reduced rate. He said he wants to keep playing. Um, or you put Will Holden at right tackle. You have options maybe at that at those two spots. But on the interior, you really don't have anything. So if you can get a Norwell, you can go into the draft and you can plug one of those other two positions and you want to keep AQ Shipley for a year uh, and you get a win at 15 or at 20 or wherever and plug him at right guard. Now you're looking at an offensive line that is it, you know, 
Is it all pro? Is it Philadelphia? Is it Dallas? No. But can it be respectable? Hopefully you're bringing in a semi-mobile quarterback. Can it be middle of the pack the first year as these guys continue to grow? I think so. And we've seen it with Ray Brown in Carolina where they've developed these guys. Norrell was an undrafted free agent. Uh, Trey Turner, I think, was a third-round pick. He's turned into one of the better guards in football. Um, they took um, – I can't remember his name, but the, but the tackle from the blind side – they, he was Cam Newton's left tackle to the Pro Bowl. He was terrible outside of that year, but he was tremendous in that one year and helped him get to the to the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I'm optimistic about that unit more so than I have been. Here's how I look at it: Harold Goodwin, I think, did an admirable job given the talent that he that he got. The Cardinals were poor in a lot of years on their offensive line, but I think part of that was due to, to the immobility of Carson Palmer. But I think that they ran the belt the ball well. Uh, they took that next step up from Russ Grimm, which was you know a complete dumpster fire to semi-respectable on a given year. And I think Ray Brown's got an opportunity to take that into the next level, um, if that makes sense. So I would absolutely be open to another offensive line. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, coming up, we got our last segment here on the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. We'll talk about the guy who's given the best practice award. Has been kind of inspiring a huge amount of people. Has gotten a huge amount of fans, and he's got one arm. We'll talk about him, or one hand, I should say. We'll talk about him and also the Cardinals' comp picks that are projected right now after this on the Bird Gang. Pros in the know start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, pros save big on the supplies they use most. Right now, save even more on select concrete mix. Now 30% off when you buy in bulk. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. Stop by or visit Lowe'sforpros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Minimum purchase required. Selection varies by Lowe's. Location. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply. U.S. only. Blitz. All righty. And here we go. Welcome back for the last part of the Bird Gang Blitz today. So let's talk a little bit about Shaquem Griffin because this is a really interesting case of potentially being a Steve Kahn guy and having a major handicap of some sort, you could say, although he doesn't seem to use it that way. Shaquem Griffin, for those who don't know, is a 6'1", 220-pound linebacker. I was a pass rush specialist this year for the UCF Knights. The uh, Some would say maybe the national champion UCF Knights, is how some people would put it, I guess. That's still a thing. Uh, he's been very interesting because he's kind of lit up the senior bowl as far as being an incredible practicer. He's got blazing speed. He's been extremely consistent on special teams, and his character is just off the charts as far as that. But he was born with a birth defect where he only had he doesn't have a left hand. So then, the, kind of the question is, where are you going to play him for that one? Versatility wise, he seems like he would fit right into that safety slash linebacker mold that Arizona has, being able to blitz, being able to rush the passer. But is this kind of a liability? At least, do you think, John, or is this a guy that maybe you start looking at like six, seven round, taking a chance on? Is this a guy who maybe you think, despite this disability, that if he fits everything else, the Cardinals do should that hold them back from drafting him or is this going to be too much of a risk where it's a nice story and then the guy doesn't make it out of camp? Well, I don't know how he's going to do with the next level. Um, but in terms of the, of the draft, I think that, and I hate to phrase it like this. There are so many seventh round picks. There are so many comp picks that day three is a, is a grind. The NFL and a team, they're going to get this guy drafted. It's a great story. Um, he's productive enough to be drafted. If you, if you just took his measurables and his productivity at UCF, you say, okay, that guy's going to be drafted. 
a la, you know, Michael Sam or whomever. And I'm not comparing the two. I'm just talking about the situations as a whole where you've got, you know, unusual circumstances. But I think that's a great PR move for the NFL to get him drafted. I think it sends the right message to kids growing up. I want to play football at the next level. I want to either play college or pro football. I've got a disability. Oh, look at Griffin. He had a tremendous college career and now he's going to play in the NFL. Um, Sure, I'd be open to Steve Kime spending a late round pick on him uh, sometime in the second or sixth or seventh round. And uh, depending on, you know, how effective he can be on special teams, because that's where he'd have to play. uh, I think he's worth a roster spot based on his productivity um, at UCF, but very interesting case. I've never seen one like it, especially Mm -hmm. from the standpoint of how productive he was. So uh, I'm rooting for him. It's an interesting case, but yeah, I do think he gets drafted. Yeah, I mean, look at like Tyron Matthew, and we talked about this, I know, with where people are looking at, is Tyron going to give you a guy who, with his play, wasn't being worth the contract? And then once his play picked up and you saw the defense kind of regain that swagger, I think that sometimes there's things where, not to say that, you know, you need to have like a, a mascot or a rah-rah guy on the team, but when you've got a guy who's out there being able to make those plays, I think that the emo- the ability to have an emotional captain like that is important, and that's part of why I'd say i totally think that I would be willing to take that pick and take a take a chance on a guy, especially when you consider the Cardinals special teams and how they've just been so low for this part of the season. We haven't heard who's going to be the special teams coach yet for the Cardinals, that most likely they're probably going to be talking to a couple of people at the senior bowl would seem to make a lot of sense. Um, we'll be able to get into that once the hire's made, but I think that's something that's really important is uh, just to be able to know is when you're grading guys, just to get that grade right. We saw this year a guy who also had a, a similar disability was uh, drafted in the fourth round this year, actually, for them, Dorian Johnson. And I think what's interesting is that he, perhaps his disability, as far as for the disease that he had, wasn't the problem so much as just his flexibility scores. The fact that he was just basically able to bend over backwards was whenever he got attacked, and he just wasn't physically or mentally able to hold up. Perhaps it's going to be the case. Cardinals at least did take a chance on Johnson. It would have been a great chance if it had paid off from where he was being graded by some guys as the second rounder. But I think that it comes down to you, you want to always draft and remember that these are people that you're drafting, not just players on not just players on a field. Uh, let's wrap up tonight and go over just some comp pick predictions because those are kind of uh, let out this weekend. And this may change at least. But for right now, the Cardinals at least look to have a first-round pick, pick number 15, a second-round pick two-thirds the Calais Campbell is going to be the first round pick or the first excuse me first pick of the comp picks in the third round whereas Tony Jefferson is going to land the fourth pick uh the fourth round pick so it'd be the I'm getting all mixed up here first pick of the comp picks in the fourth round and that fourth round pick is gone traded for Buda Baker I doubt there's a Cardinals fan who's going to miss that pick at all you also have a fifth rounder and then what's being projected right now is two sixths um, some of the comp picks are given back for signing guys like Phil Dawson um, minus one for Adrian Peterson there so it seems like it's very possible there might be only one sixth round pick there and then the seventh round pick um, that's one that was given up for um, Marcus Cooper as far as for in 2016, seems that pick is gone. The one thing that is really interesting about this is that it's possible still that the Cardinals could add maybe another seventh round pick, depending on how DJ Swearinger and Kevin Minter turn out uh, for what they're created for. So John, this is probably going to be like the, the most picks and the highest amount that they've had as far as with these comp picks. Um, is this going to be more of an ammunition that you think the Cardinals and Steve Kahn are going to be able to use to move around? Or is this going to be a case of where you just want to kind of stay steady, rebuild? Um, what do you what are your first thoughts about hearing with these comp picks and is it a little more kind of maybe even for me i felt like it was a little less than i'd expected 
Well, I think we all hope that Tony Jefferson, based on his contract, would be bumped up to a third. He's close. I think he's like the second or third highest fourth fourth round comp grade, if that makes sense. So he's right there. Clay's Campbell got the highest free agent contract of any player last offseason. So we knew we were going to get a third for Clayus Campbell, and he went out, and you almost think that the Cardinals should have a second-round comp pick for the way he played. But um, it's going to be tough, Blake, to outbid some of these teams like the aforementioned Buffalo Bills, like the Cleveland Browns, who have so much ammunition. You know, I, did a, um, I do mock drafts you know, in my free time, and just the amount of picks that Buffalo and Cleveland have, I thought every other pick I was making was for one of those it's two crazy, teams. Yeah. <laughs> the Bills have two firsts and two seconds. The Cardinals have one pick in each of those rounds. Now they pick higher, but at the same time, you know, you know, it would be just unbelievable for a team to get called up by by Buffalo and, and they're offering you get two first round picks this year and you get a first round next year. I mean, the equivalent of that, so let's say you're not in love with somebody in the top 10, you have your franchise quarterback. Let's say Jason light gets a phone call, uh, former Arizona Cardinal, uh, VP of personnel, who's now the uh, GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he gets a call from Steve Kime who wants to move up, but he also gets a call from the folks from Buffalo who are offering those two first rounders. And then some, does Steve Kime get to a point where he can say to himself, I want this quarterback. I'm going to give up what's necessary because based on the trade value chart, and um, you can find this a lot of, a lot of places online have this chart and sometimes it varies, but I use the one via pro football focus, the draft trade value chart to get inside. Let's say the Cardinals want the third overall pick from Indianapolis. They'd have to give up their first this year, obviously, their second this year, their first next year, and probably a third on top of that. So you're talking two ones, a two, and a three. And that's just the starting point of what's fair. Then you've that's got crazy. other <laughs> yeah, then you've got other teams that are in demand for quarterbacks and and want to jump up. So it's gonna be expensive. The Cardinals have made their bed. They have nobody to blame for it other than themselves for not taking one in years prior. And, you know, we all love the victory at the end of the year against Seattle. We all love those, those victories to get Bruce Aaron's date and eight, but they didn't do any favors for themselves in the draft. So it'll be interesting. I do think that these comp picks will come into play though this year with the quarterback. Um, but I think that Arians, or excuse me, Steve Kimes mantra when he came in was saying that he wanted to be a team like the Baltimore Ravens that accumulated comp picks. But really, you could argue he's better right now at signing free agents than he is drafting players. That's not a great thing to say, but at the same time, go out and get Star Latulale. Go out and get Andrew Norwell. If you can, go get Dominic Rogers cromartie to, to strengthen this defense in the secondary. That's going to prohibit you from getting comp picks in the future, but at, at the same time, especially in Star and Andrew's case, you're adding top value players in the prime of their careers. As long as that money's well spent – um, and usually signing a guard in the prime of his career via free agency works out, um, you're going to be fine. I don't need that third, late third-round comp pick that's comparable to Chad Williams. You know what I mean? So it'll be interesting. I think that they're going to come into play. But, you know, I've been wrong every year when it comes to this team and taking a QB. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like ever just this team is not you know we've talked about it hasn't drafted a quarterback uh, outside of like three and since Matt Leinart even that was more just due to the fact that teams passed on him and 
Yeah, there's a lot of the interesting, uh, a lot of interesting things with this team. Every year, it seems like we're talking about quarterback. They try to make a move, and it just hasn't been enough. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see as far as with the quarterback carousel because a lot of talk has been about the Cardinals pursuing Alex Smith, and I, I really have a hard time seeing that in terms of the fact that Arizona is just not in a position as far as not just cap space where the, it would kind of limit you a little bit for the level of quarterback and you'd get to the playoffs you'd be able to maybe even get a playoff win if your team is able to pull it out against a, a lesser opponent the Chiefs weren't able to this year despite all the talent on their team but when you look at that when you start looking at maybe about giving up a second round pick for Alex Smith you're probably not going to be drafting a, a quarterback at least at 15 and then giving up a second uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it since I put a great deal of value on quarterback and if that's your guy then I, I wouldn't mind it personally um, just to kind of keep going until you get it right. But you also don't want to have a Brown situation where every year you're drafting another uh, another guy for him to bust out. But when you look at how the draft comes, the excuse me, quarterback carousel comes down to, it's really going to depend on where Kirk Cousins goes because I think whoever wins the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes, the other team is going to end up winning kind of the Alex Smith sweepstakes. So if Kirk Cousins ends up going to um, Cleveland or perhaps even he goes to Denver, let's say, whatever team is there, he's is going to want Alex Smith. So I, I think that the Cleveland Browns, they want to go ahead and trade for Alex Smith. They don't get Kirk Cousins or the Washington Redskins are seeming very likely then to just say, well, all right, well, we don't have a quarterback here. Let's trade for Alex Smith. It'll be cheaper. Then we can have him be our quarterback while we're drafting a guy and bringing him along. That seems to make a lot of sense. Whereas for the Cardinals, they don't have as high a pick as either of those two teams. They don't have as many picks as either of those two teams. Uh, I don't see a team like Buffalo that would go after Alex Smith, especially with those two first round picks. It seems like they're trying to build and go after a quarterback. But what are your thoughts about with Smith? Is this kind of a guy who's, you think, realistic for the Cardinals to attain? And if they do get him, what's kind of some of the results that we should expect, at least for 2018 and beyond? It's a, it's a scenario in which Cardinal fans are playing through their heads, I think, consistently until free agency begins. Listen, if he was available just on the free agent market, I like Kirk Cousins at 34 years old, I would be all for it uh, as a bridge guy. But again, Kansas City is showing you that we can't win with him and we have all pros everywhere on this team. So we drafted Patrick Mahomes. So the Cardinals have a lesser roster, especially offensively, than Kansas City. They don't have a Tyreek Hill. You know, Kareem Hunt for David Johnson's a wash, but, you know, they have a better offensive line. They have Travis Kelsey. Cardinals don't have any of that. And they weren't able to win with Alex Smith having a career year this year. And he completely melted down in the second half of the playoff game against the Tennessee Titans, a team that the Cardinals beat. So you look at the fact that you're going to have to give up some kind of draft capital because he's got one year left on his contract, one or two years, I can't remember. He's due an enormous cap hit. Um, and so he's 34 years old. I mentioned earlier that you know his skills aren't going to – you know, age well in terms of the fact that he relies on his mobility. Is he going to be able to move around all that effectively in his mid to late thirties? The Cardinals have a, you know, a below average offensive line. It would behoove them to, to get a guy who's younger uh, under the age of 30. Um, that's why I think Brock Osweiler, unfortunately makes some sense. It's going to be cheap. It's going to know Mike McCoy's offense. Um, and he's not going to be the guy that's going to prevent you. I would hate for them to go into the draft and say, well, we have Alex Smith. We're going to be fine. 
Um, but again, if you get Alex Smith, probably you have a chance to make the playoffs if things break right and you could have a nice season, but you're not going to win a championship. You're not going to have sustained success. And that can't be good enough for this team anymore. It can't be good enough just to say, well, we're shooting for the playoffs, but we know our ceiling is limited. You got to take a risk to get a championship. And in order to do that, you got to find a franchise quarterback via the draft that will give you the best opportunity to be able to pile up talent around him in the early years of his contract where you're not paying him anything and then go for a Super Bowl, or you hit the jackpot, you get a, you know, a franchise quarterback, you know, even if you have to pay him, you're going to be consistently in it every year because of it. Alex Smith just delays the inevitable. Uh, He's not as good as Carson Palmer was when he came to the desert. The Cardinals gave up, I think a sixth or a seventh round pick for Palmer. So it's a move to me that just it, it puts the franchise in a place where they're either staying stagnant or they're going backwards. And I don't want that for this team. Yeah, it's interesting with perception. I think the perception of Alex Smith still has been higher than Palmer around the league. And some of that is due to Bruce Arians. Um, Smith, you know, he was still traded for, I believe it was two second rounders to the Chiefs. And he'd been coming off, you know, a playoff berth until Colin Kaepernick um, took over for him post-concussion. And he still, you know, I think it's the, with Alex Smith, you're not going to be looking at when you're saying like it's worse than Palmer. As far as for with uh, overall play, you could maybe say that it's maybe not a wash for that. But part of that is Palmer was such a great fit for Arians' system. And you have that incredible 2015 season and it kind of ended in disaster that's very very similar to what Alex Smith and Chiefs fans just went through now the biggest difference of course being we go into that next season they've got Patrick Mahomes just sitting there and Smith available for trade to the highest bidder and that's part of where I think with Steve Kine we're going to learn a lot about just how much he actually values a quarterback because if we go into this day and this draft and they come out of day one without a quarterback and then they come out of day two, maybe they take a second rounder somewhere or looked at a day three guy, but it's not going to be a bold risk like taking a Lamar Jackson would, knowing that you're going to develop and kind of train the guy, but taking more of like a Rudolph and a, I mean, we don't believe that they're going to like Falk at all, at least partially maybe because of medicals, but I think that's going to tell us a lot about Steve Kime. And if he doesn't go after a quarterback, then like we've talked about, he may not be around at least for the next one. So this is a prime opportunity while you have this elite defense, uh, while you've got this kind of limitation with your cap space. I think that this is kind of the year. And it seems very much so that even though you kind of regret Bruce Arians not being around for that, if they go and decide that they're going to get an Osweiler, you can pretty much can kind of know that there's going to be building for the future with that draft pick. And I think that's probably the most encouraging thing for Cardinals fans because no matter how you feel about the Steve Wilkes hire, no matter how you feel about the McCoy hire, you'd be able to get fans plenty excited about being able to draft one of these top quarterbacks this year. And we'll be continuing to monitor that as it goes along. Well, uh, that'll wrap it up for this tonight on the Bird Game Blitz. Uh, John, as we always do, can you just wrap it up and let people know where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, Blake, I am at Johnny's Football, all one word, uh, no special characters or anything like that. Give me a follow and continue listening to the Bird Game Blitz. Yeah, you can find us on iTunes as well as Blog Talk Radio. Uh, you can also find my work on Revenge of the Birds. Um, we're getting into draft season now, which is super exciting. I'm working on a new stats project with one of our other writers, AFC to NFC, Justin. We'll be kind of combining a lot of our statistical research um, into kind of one place to get a great look at these quarterbacks. I'll give you a little hint at least is that um, one of them in particular is probably going to blow the stats away. Um, we'll at least uh, get into more of that, at least, and I'll be breaking some of that news. We'll have Justin on to go over that during draft season. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you all so much for joining us. You guys have a wonderful night. 
Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.